Hello, I'm Marilyn, and today I'm showing off Raquel Medrano. She's a transformational leadership coach. She works with corporate execs and business owners and their teams, helping them transform their relationship with what's possible to achieve greater results. Now, that sounds rather formal. She's got a very fascinating life. Born during a war in Argentina in the Falkland Island conflict, she now lives in Perth, Australia. And it's my great pleasure to show her off today. Raquel, I have been waiting for this moment. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Mary Lynn. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Absolute pleasure. Another day, another accent. Tell us first, what is that beautiful accent? What is your cultural heritage? And where the heck do you live in the world? Very good question. That's got many layers to an answer. <laughs> yeah. So I am originally from Argentina. I am, for any Argentinians out there, I am from Tucumán, which is the north of Argentina, very, very far away from Buenos Aires. My father is Spanish and my mom is from Italian heritage. So I say that I speak Spanish with a bit of an Italian accent, which is what Argentinians <laughs> do. I have been in Australia now. I live in Western Australia and I've been here for 20 years. With still that very strong accent. Yeah. And you know what? It's a bit like, um, you know, imagine in, in English people have accents like a Texan, a yeah. person from Texas moving to New York and not mm. losing that accent. I'm a bit like that even in my own country. So mm. I have this thing with my accent where I sometimes think, oh, maybe I should take like a diction lesson of some sort to lose it a little bit but it's such a big part of my identity you know I don't I don't really it has become a problem sometimes with because I speak super fast and sometimes I mumble the words so I apologize if I do that in this interview please hold me back and I will um but I've I've made it look this is this is me and unless it becomes an issue in me being able to get my point through or communicating with people I'm fine. Mm. Oh. Now, Raquel was one of the early guests um, on this show and it's, uh, yes, we're doing a special series called The Show Off Project, but she was, uh, she has an amazing story, incredible. So I would, uh, I would highly recommend, recommend you go and listen to that original podcast. Uh, but Raquel, what is it that, what's your wow? What is it that you do with your time uh, now, these days in Perth? Wow. Well, that's such a wild question. Look, you know, this brings me to something my brother said once. I've got two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And uh, my brother said to me, your life is so random that if you said to me one day you're going to join a circus, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and he said this to me like 20 years ago or 10 years ago, and it's still very random. So I think my wow... As my life evolved and I, you know, as I said to you before, we've known each other for a while and I started working super young and I entered an industry. And for me, coming from a South American country with all the financial issues that my family had, I had to start working super early. So I pretty much navigated a, a path of whatever the money was, I went there. And my passion was music and I love learning languages and I've learned lots of languages in my life. And I love learning. I'm a very studious person but in reality you know I wish I could sit in the library forever and study Latin and all those things but you have to work and you know eat so I went into mining and construction and investments and stuff like that and I think that 
up to a point in my life, that randomness really bothered me because everybody around me was becoming a specialist in something. My friends were becoming psychologists or lawyers or anything. And uh, there I was, I married early. I had um, four children uh, between the ages of 26 and 32. So by the age of 32, I, I was already living in a foreign country with four very young kids. And so I went from being a businesswoman to being a mother. And, and I, I think at one point I looked in and I thought, what is my life about? Like, I don't even know who I am anymore because I've got so many interests. I studied music, I studied languages, I studied the investments. I worked in all these industries, in sales, in, I taught, I taught languages, I, I taught high school, I played music in an orchestra and all these things. And I couldn't make sense of myself. And I think that now, I'm 44 now, I look back at my life and you, you reach that space of wisdom and you think, oh, my wow is I'm malleable. I can, I can reinvent myself at, on demand, <laughs> you know? I'm not attached to this is who I am and this is what my life is about. And it's been a journey of self-discovery because all of a sudden you go, you know, if I, my oldest son is now 18, he just turned 18. And my youngest one is just at high school. So I'm going through this conversation of, if I'm not a mother, what am I? If I'm not a business mm, consultant, what yeah. am I? If I'm not a, a wife, I left my marriage when, um, I don't know, 10 years ago. If I'm not a wife, what am I? And so this identity discovery journey and a lot of people that have that security, well, I am a doctor mm, or I'm mm, an engineer. Mm. I didn't have that. Mm. So now I know I am someone that can just reinvent herself. And no matter what life throws at me, I can just pick up the pieces and make something with it. I would wow. say that's my world. Was that a slow realization or was it an aha moment? Ah, uh, no, neither, neither. That was a struggle conversation. Mm. I had that conversation with myself for years and I engaged, you know, self-development courses and you're, especially when, you know, when my divorce um, happened and my youngest was two and my oldest was eight and there I am in Australia, you know, as a single mother um, with, again, at that point, how I saw myself was I have no career, I have no talent. At no point, I thought all the things I had done in my life in the past counted as something. Until someone said to me, you know, you do have very good communication skills. And, you know, you go, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> what's that good for? And so as, after many years of asking myself that question and continuing exploring avenues, I went after, when I started that journey of, okay, who am I on my own? I went into real estate. I went into property development. I went into communication coaching. And that's when I started looking at business coaching, which is what I ended up doing uh, because I used to have business before. And after a long, long time, I think it's this sense of, I don't even want to say ownership because I can own it now after a long time. But it was a sense of becoming comfortable with the discomfort of accepting that something mm. that was a bit random and not really didn't fit in any box maybe was okay. So stop resisting the fact that you can't see, you can't see yourself in other people, you can't see yourself in, in the narrative. So you have to come to the place of, of acceptance and say, 
okay, well, maybe I'm, I'm still, you know, the, the usual, maybe, maybe I'm still finding myself. And you keep looking and you, and you look outwards. And you're like, yeah, you do. where am I? Where, yeah, where you am do. I? Yeah. And you look out. And eventually you have to look inwards. And I'll tell you what makes a huge difference. What, well, what made a huge difference for me. And I know that any uh, self-development program will tell you this is wrong. But it actually helped. When you start getting some kind of external validation, when someone outside of you, like my brother said to me, if you said to me tomorrow you're going to join the circus, I wouldn't be surprised. When you start joining those dots and you go, oh, okay, maybe that, this is who I am. And for you to be okay with that. Mm. So if I had made that wrong, if I had been like, no, I need to be some, I need to be niche. I need to be an expert in something. I need to be, I need to expand. How can I have, this is the other conversation that was very, very uh, common uh, in my network. For you to be an expert in something, you have to have done it forever and you have to have mastery yeah. of it. Mm. And, and I thought, what am I an mm. expert on? Mm. I, and I couldn't pinpoint, maybe I'm, I'm an expert in parenting because I've got children, but should, would I call myself an expert in parenting when I don't have a parenting degree? Like all those mm. conversations mm. you have with yourself until one day you go, no, maybe this is who I am. Maybe it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to me right now. And if I start looking at the world from this perspective, things will start falling into place. And from then on, they did. Wow, what a revelation. I can hear people who are listening to this now going, ding, 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 like, like bulbs. Going. <laughs> because the message for so long is niche down, find your expertise. And it's, 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 it's an old belief system that just doesn't work anymore as well and not everyone is wired that way yes and I think the way that we build things as well mm. has us confused because if mm. I said to you you know when when I started my business coaching um, business eight years ago uh, I was looking at what am I an expert on what can I teach people what and you're looking at am I a marketing person am I a branding person am I a can I run workshops? I, I could do those things, but I didn't find, you know, you go, I'm not mm. passionate about any mm. of those things. Okay, maybe I'll do business strategy. And a friend of mine said to me, you, strategy? You're super creative. What are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, so I had to add creativity to strategy. Mm. I got to understand for myself that my, what I'm really, really good at and what makes the biggest difference, whether I'm dealing with a multi-million dollar company or a solopreneur, I am extremely, extremely good at listening to people and really getting what matters to them so that I can help them find an access for making that mm. an avenue, a door towards their success. Mm. Now, what do you call that? Can you market yourself? Hi, mm. I'm Raquel and I'm really good I'm at listening listener. to people. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm a listener. Mm. Mm. You know? No. So you have to, in terms to, to market that, you have to find the, the words, the SEO mm. and this and that. And and I really found myself not willing to play that game. And so I have built my business based on my values and a little bit like you, having lots of conversations with people and connecting mm -hmm. with people. And when people connect with you and they mm -hmm. get that you get them and that you partner them in what matters mm -hmm. to them, you just thrive. Mm. And do you know what? I see from you. And I think this is a big thing that women struggle with is, do you know what you're best in the world at? Being Raquel. Being yeah. you, 
you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, that's corny, but no, it's, it's no, it is right. And you know where the opportunities came? You went and asked for them, which is another theme that is coming out through these episodes is that women aren't good at putting their hand up and saying, I'd like that. I want that role. I want to work in that company. I want to do business with that. Why is it, Raquel? Because you've mastered it. I know you have. Yes. Why do us women struggle with that? I'll give you an example. And I I don't know why women as a general struggle with that because I'm sure that it doesn't apply to all women. But, I mean, you don't have to look back in history to know how much Mm. women have Mm. been really pushed down in Mm. terms of opportunity. Now, I come from South America a very male-driven society where being a woman has a certain um, quality to it where a man will open the door for you and, you know, you expect a man to pay for you on a date. And I didn't realize until now and living outside of that culture of how much of a, a what's the word, a, like like someone puts a chip in your brain and it's okay, like, okay, this yeah, is who yeah, being yeah. a woman is, yeah. you know? Conditioning. Mm-hmm. How oh, much conditioning, of conditioning yeah. that that puts in and you're not even aware of that so it took me to i was hiring for a role recently i was hiring for the chair position for a non-for-profit organization and i put the ad up there and i had i don't know 15 20 applicants all men oh that's right yeah we had a conversation about that Mm. yes and i posted that on linkedin and look i really don't have a gender preference I mm. think what I was looking for was someone that was phenomenal for the role. I needed someone that was absolutely phenomenal for the role. Non-for-profit is a very special, you know, um, area. It's not private, so funding is an issue. And you know, someone you need mm. someone who's committed. And as I was driving through the list of uh, applicants, I just didn't find someone that was fitted for the role. And when I did find someone that was fitted for the role, and I thought, oh, this guy would be amazing. He didn't choose us. So if there wasn't, um, you know, a yin and a yang mm. in that. Mm. But I was really curious as to why women hadn't applied for the role. So I went on LinkedIn on a little rant on, of my own. And I went, where are the women? And I, and I shared my experience. And I genuinely wanted to know why women hadn't applied. After that post, I had five women apply. And I asked them. And they all said the same thing. I don't have experience in non-for-profits. Mm. I've never been the chairperson of an organization. Mm. I don't think I would be the best person for the role. And I think, ah, oh, okay. So this is a misconception about leadership. Mm. So my experience of leadership is that most people who are in leadership, if not everyone, didn't really choose it. And didn't get, didn't go, oh, I'm going to be the leader of that organization or I'm going to be the leader of that mm. course. Leadership calls you. Mm. And a lot, and you mm. find yourself in a leadership position after you've gone through something that has led you there. And then one day you go, oh, gee, I'm leaving this thing now. It's like, what happened mm. to you, Marilyn? Mm. You created something with what you're doing with this podcast. And you wanted to create something as a contribution to the community. Mm. And I'm telling you, mm. that's leadership. You didn't know who was going to come. Yeah. You mm. didn't know how it was going to turn out. Mm. But you saw something and you went, I'm going to do that. And so if we don't put ourselves in the uncomfortableness of the unknown, there's no leadership. Mm. Leadership mm. is leading. If you're leading, that means that no one else has done it before. And that means that you haven't done it before. 
So if you're going to expand, you know, the whole cliche, you need to get out of your comfort zone and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it sounds amazing, but we don't want to do it because no one wants to be uncomfortable. Mm. So these women said to me, I wasn't ready. It's not me. I'm not enough. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Exactly. And that's exactly the reason why you should apply. Because mm. if you don't apply yes. to a role that you're not fit for, mm. you will never be fit for that role. No, There's no, no amount of reading you can mm. do on leadership mm. that will have you ready to face what a leader really faces on a daily basis. Mm. It's really uncomfortable. So if you want to be a leader and if you're going to be the head of a company and if you're going to be management or whatever, you have to be really willing to be very uncomfortable and feel completely out of your depth for a long time. And then you will have the skills that you need for that role. Oh, I've got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. And that's why a lot of women, their businesses don't don't work either because they're they they reach that point of uncomfortableness and they shrink back to what's comfort, comfortable rather than pushing out and going, well, no, damn it, I'm going to be a but leader you know in what, this space. Yes, and I, look, I'm going to say something really radical here. <laughs> I blame the system because yeah. we are a product of our system. I've got kids, they go to school, and what happens in school when you make a mistake? You get marked down and you get like, yes. you weren't good enough. You need mm. to get everything right in order mm. to pass. Mm. So when you have 12 years of conditioning that the only way you can succeed is by getting everything right, mm-hmm. we're not producing leaders. We're yep. producing people that will stay in a yep. box and do what they know to do best for as long as they can do that well. Mm. And there you have careers that mm. go forever, and then people retire doing the same thing for lots of years rather than let's be creative. And I think um, that women overall, well, I don't know. I really don't think this is the gender thing, but maybe it is. But maybe let me say this. I think women maybe haven't had enough opportunity or as much opportunity historically as men so they start from a, we start from a place of disadvantage like that. But now we have the same opportunities. I believe we do, depending on where you are in the world. I mean, if you come from where I come from, uh, you know, I didn't get to go to university and I had to work since I was very young and I didn't learn English until I was 15. So I didn't have access to a lot of uh, literature. We didn't have the internet, whatever. Right now, today, where we are, if you have a phone in your hand, you have opportunities available. I think that people who are, um, committed to excellence and who have very high standards and people who want to produce top quality products or services often get stopped by the fact that it's never good enough for them. And I include myself in that. So if it's not good enough yet, it'll be good enough tomorrow and then it'll be good enough tomorrow. And then you're always waiting for the moment where you'll be well-trained, where you'll have the right words to say, where you'll have the product well-polished. And one of the things that really led me into just doing things was a quote that I read by Richard Branson, where he said, if you are not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you launch too late. Mm, And so so that for me was really freeing Mm. because I thought, you know what, if I'm going to wait until it's perfect, I might not be embarrassed. And so sometimes I put things, you know, those memories on Facebook or that come up and say a year ago, you said that. And you see, wow, how far I've come in a year. And I go in embarrassment and I delete those old posts because how could I have said that? I was so, it was so, you know, homemade. Yeah, yeah. But, but we started, we started. Mm. Raquel, you came from 
South America. It, it, it's a very different culture. But you didn't follow the traditional women's route, did you? You did a lot. I mean, you were, had a welding business and you had a lot of, you know, you were saying before that it was more about survival than traditional gender roles. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, you know, I've always wondered, um, I have a, I don't relate really well to the gender um, conversation. And I'm saying this super respectfully to anyone that does, mm. because I, I, I think myself extremely ignorant in the subject. So I, my experience in life is the only one I can speak from. So I grew up in a family, a typical family, mom, dad, brothers, I was the only sister, um, the only daughter. And people used to, used to say to me, oh, you must be daddy's girl. And I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, I'm, I was just another child in the house. We all had equal responsibilities. And when I was 15, my dad um, suffered, you know, the, the the financial situation, the political situation in my country meant he lost his job and that he couldn't find another one. So my brothers and I started looking for work, as you do as a teenager. And then I started working. And for me, that journey, that is the path that really marked my life. It became about survival. It was like, I need to eat. I need to go to school. I need to have money for the bus. And there was never enough money for me. I'm talking about conditioning. And I've used that word three times already today. But talk about conditioning, who I became in the world was I need money and I need it yesterday. And so that took me to pursue really savagely opportunities in my life. So I would find a job and then while I had that job, I would start looking for the next one that paid more money and then for the next one that paid more money. The amount of jobs that I applied for. So my city is a very highly dense, densely populated city uh, where I come from. And so one job would fill with thousands of applicants. So your chances are always very slim. And I did that and I changed jobs very regularly until at the age of 18, I ended up in mining. And so I ended up doing fly in, fly out and I had a very big salary. And so when you enter an industry like mining and I worked in banking before that and hospitality before that and teaching before that. So by the end of 18, I had already been in like five industries. So when I worked in mining, you network with a lot of people in the construction field, engineering, you know. Um, so that led to, after my two years in mining, forming a contract with someone to create a welding company. And look, now, 20 years later, I look back and I think, what was I thinking? I had no business experience. I had no welding experience. I was just like, where's the money? <laughs> Is there money in that? I'll go there, you know. It didn't occur to me to ask, is it a women's, um, you know, industry? How many other women-led welding companies are there in this city? Not at all. Not at all. So my business partner was a man, and uh, I was the, the fully, the, the only shareholder uh, in the company. He was the, the talent, let's say. And then we had 20 welders, and then we had amazing big contracts. I will never forget my first contract was, this is 20 years ago, for 56,000 American dollars. And so we, I just did that. And so now I look back and I think, oh, this took me to that and this took me to that. And having that experience very early in my life, when I decided to leave it all behind and follow love and come to Australia and get married and have babies, 
people in my life went, what? <laughs> what, this woman that was on the, uh, she was on the journey of becoming, you know, multimillionaire in the construction field, then just she's now a mom. And so I think I've just followed, I, I, up to that point, I, I followed the money because it was a necessity. And then it became who I was, very driven, very driven, always doing something new. And as a mother, that shifted for me. You know, I think my kids were the biggest gift in my life because talk about being a woman again, what a, what a, what a full embodiment of womanhood, motherhood is, for me anyway. I got to do all the things, you know, the pregnancy, the breastfeeding, the going to play group, the not having to work and being with them. And I always knew that I wanted for kids. And so I embraced motherhood like from, from the head, 100%. And I did all the things that mothers do, all the corny things that mothers do. I baked all the cupcakes. And, and I, did, I did that for about 10 years. And then I had an identity crisis because that's when my marriage ended and all the rest. And I went, oh, I've gone from this to this other thing, completely different world, in completely different countries, very different cultures. So who am I now? And where is that other, like the woman that I used to be? How do I find myself? And that's where the journey of self-discovery, well, what I thought was the journey of self-discovery um, started. But then for me, it was a values issue because where I was, and I am sure that any working mother will relate to this, at that very point, I was extremely conflicted because I thought, how can I be the mother I want to be and support my family financially? Is this, is this male and female energy? Mm. Is this how can I hustle and thrive and make mm. lots of money, mm. but I don't want to put my kids in daycare and I don't have family support and I still want to go to school and do the after school, you know, play dates. And so for me, it was a matter of how can I marry these two lives? And I think one of the things that you were asking me earlier on today was in terms of what is a woman? For me, it's you create this avatar for yourself of what, not just what a woman is, but what is a successful person? Or what is a respectable person? You, you start, for me, my life was looking at you know, oh, I like, I like that person. I like how they talk. So communication becomes uh, a value for you. Oh, I like that couple, how loving they are. So a connected, loving relationship becomes a value for you. And you start picking, you know, nitpicking in the world these values. And one day you have this ideal what the perfect mother is, what the perfect woman is, what the perfect business person is. And then you want to be all of those things. And there's only one of you. And and then when you have, when I had such big expectations of what an amazing mother would be, and that became a very core value for me, anything that was not a match for me being 100% available to my children all the time became a values conflict. Mm, and so that was a huge yeah, part of my journey. Yeah, yeah. How do I marry success mm, with, those with having... expectations? Mm. Absolutely. Mm, mm. Yeah. So how did you resolve that? the game the name of the game for a long time was what am I neglecting now and so you're always feeling like if you're not with your kids you know when you're with your kids you're like I should be working and when you're working out I should be with my kids and so at that point I think the the, the burnout 
and the stress comes when you're really unwilling. And I'm gonna say this, I take full responsibility for what I'm saying. I think that if you're unwilling to look at what's gonna work for you, you're playing somebody else's game. And if you're playing somebody else's game, yes. if you're playing somebody else's game and you take somebody else's values as your values and you don't take the time to think about what's going to work for me and my life. And, and again, I'm going to say another thing, your life, you could see, you could say that your life is the life that you have had, but you've been there than that you need to really be willing to look at where am I going now and are the values that have held me up till now useful for where I'm going. So having four teenagers for, for me is not the same as having four very young children. So maybe not being with them all the time is okay. Maybe to take the time for me to read a book every now and then and not cook dinner every night is okay. And so I know that it sounds super simple, but if you apply that to everything, you start noticing how you are buying into narratives that are not your narratives. And so your life going forward, and we have a long, if we're lucky, we have a long time ahead of us. We need to be willing to continuously do this auditing of our values and start uncollapsing what we have said to ourselves up till now. This is what a good mother is. This is what a good woman is. This is what a respectable woman would do. This is what a woman in her career would do. This is, mm-hmm. yeah, fine. Yeah. But it, those values, if mm-hmm. not audited often enough, become yeah. your cage. I agree. And then you're living mm-hmm. a life that mm-hmm. is so mm-hmm. contained in values that don't serve you anymore that then not much else is possible. And it takes a good amount of self-awareness to be able yes, to Yes, but that doesn't come for that. free. No. Yes. No. It doesn't come for free. And one of the things that I've had to learn, oh my goodness, we're, we're going into shame now, okay? <laughs> I think that, thanks Brenda Brown, I think that one of the, when you talk about self-awareness, self-awareness comes from being willing to look in those dark places that you don't want to look. And I was extremely fortunate to have someone introduce me to some self-development courses that I took um, when my kids were very young and look, I had done therapy before and read books and, you know, I've got like, I've got books of all sorts in terms of personal development, but it was this particular technology that um, with courses that I did that invited me to look at places I didn't want to look and talk about discomfort. I did not want to go there. And I thought to myself, you know how many years of my life I've spent trying to bury my past. I don't want to go there. It's painful. I've moved on. And if you have done that and you think you've dealt with it, you haven't because there, there's a certain power in being able to look back and go, I own my life. I own 100% of what happened in my life. And you could put me in any stage of my life and I will stand in that story with power. That is self-awareness. And that is allowing yourself to be who you really are with all the experiences you have had. And I am not saying this lightly. I know that a lot of people have experienced a lot of trauma and they don't want to go there. But unless you own it 100%, like it 100% is part of your story, there's no freedom. And if there's no freedom, there's no possibilities for you. I mean, there are some, but you're very limited to what's possible for you because it takes a hell of a lot of courage to say, this is me. This is who I am 100%, words and all, and life bring it on. There's a lot of shame in that. Wow, yes, yes. 
There is. Oh, Raquel, you definitely have a gift of communication. Isn't she great, everyone? I mean, don't you just want to sit and draw more out of out of her? Raquel, I want to wrap up with this final question. At the end of your life, I want to show off, Raquel, what would be the greatest, you know, words that I could say that would give you the greatest honour? What would you, what could I say? What would you want me to say? Yes. I, I know exactly what it would be. Look, I want to be remembered for making a difference. And, uh, and I am very, very lucky to hear that from people all the time. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, I've got a friend who's got little girls. And she came to me the other day and she said, you know what? You're the only person that comes to my house and sits and listens to my girls. And they just, Aww. when you enter through the door you ignore all the adults and you sit there and they're like Raquel's here and you listen to everything they've got to say like it's the biggest news in the world that to me melts my heart I I had another mom come to me and she said the mom from school said to me I want you to know that because you spoke to my son about what mattered to him he decided to go into music and now he's doing music in university and he's becoming a composer and I'm like you know what that's it. I just you could die. Really you could die now. <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. I can die now. Yeah. If I if 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 I go, all I want to leave behind is that people have found themselves and they found themselves valued and heard and acknowledged mm. and contributed because I was here. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! Wow, wow. Oh, I love this. I love this question. I think I'll just compile everyone's answers and write a book about it or something. It's absolutely amazing. Amazing. Yes, please. Beautiful day-to-day, almost hidden things that might never be measured and might never be seen. Oh, my gosh. Raquel, thank you for your time. Thank you, Marilyn. It's such a beautiful pleasure and honour to speak to you. Thank you, Raquel, for being a part of it. My pleasure and my honour. Thank you, Marilyn. 